We are in a series called uh, Blueprint for Discipleship, and this is focused on us helping other people in our lives to grow with a specific emphasis on parenting, on parenting. And I want to say that parenting is difficult. If you have been a parent in the last, gosh, 50 years, I mean, I think every generation says that every coming generation, it's more and more difficult. Um, And it's difficult because most parents experience all sorts of confusion and frustration because there are so many ways to parent, right? And what's really frustrating is that there are people who are diametrically opposed to each other and they are convinced that their way is the only right way to parent, right? You listen to somebody, they sound so compelling, and then you listen to somebody else and they're totally opposite. You're like, what do I do? Um, And it's our kids, And so it's like we have to get this right. We don't want to mess this up because if we mess up, it'll mess them up. And the stakes just seem to be so high. And the truth is that there are lots of ways to parent that please God and follow the Bible. There are lots of ways to do discipleship that please God and follow the Bible. And so what I want to do today is I want to rise sort of above the disagreements about methods, and just discover together a vision for parenting that will help you no matter what your approach to parenting is. And again, this is good for discipleship too. So if you aren't a parent, uh, you can apply many of these principles in your spiritual friendships, um, in the opportunities that you have to mentor others, to influence others in their walk with God. And I really only have one point that I want you to take away today. So if you want to write something down, there's a place in your bulletin to do this. This is what I want you to write down. Parenting introduces God. That's what parenting is for. Parenting introduces God. And so we could say the same thing about discipleship. That discipleship introduces God. What I want us to do is I want to read Ephesians 6 verse 4. Um, It's a verse that's in your bulletin. It's going to be up on the screens. Um, So let's read this verse and let's discover together, again, a vision for what parenting is designed by God to be. It says this, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So this passage is speaking not just to fathers, but fathers shorthand for fathers and mothers. But parents are to raise their kids. They are to bring them up in a way that introduces them to God. This verse is saying, raise them in the Lord's discipline and instruction. Right? God has a way of disciplining and instructing us. Parents, that's your responsibility. It's to imitate that. And so again, this is a command to have your parenting mirror God's parenting. Okay, now what is God's parenting? Well, at the core, God's parenting is loving authority. Okay, God's parenting is loving authority. And we see this in lots of different ways. Most chiefly, we see it in Jesus, who is the revelation of God the Father. Um, And here's how Jesus completely reverses the authority, not just in parenting, but in the world. This is from Mark chapter 10. Verses 42 to 45. It says, Jesus called his disciples to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. 
Jesus is saying, look, out in the world, the way that authority is expressed is that people who have authority lord it over the people that are under them. They get their way. They do what they want. Having authority means your way goes. It means you do what you want. It means you have freedom to get your way. That's how it is among the Gentiles and the world out there. And the great ones exercise authority over them. Verse 43, but it shall not be so among you. Jesus says there's a way it happens in the world out there, and it will not be that way in the kingdom of God. It will not be that way among people who have authority in God's family. He goes on, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. So he's saying, if you have authority, if you want to have authority, you need to serve. You need to care for the people under you. Their needs, their desires are more important than yours. You're like, Jesus, it's easy for you to say you're God, right? <laughs> you always get your way. Well, Jesus addresses that in verse 45. This is mind-boggling to me. For, Jesus says, whoever be first among you must be the slave of all. For, because even the Son of Man, talking about himself, Jesus is the Son of Man. For even the Son of Man came not to be served. Jesus is saying, look, I who am God, even I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so we see here that Jesus is completely upending the notions of leadership and authority in the world. That authority in God's eyes is designed to serve. We forget this, don't we? I mean, especially as parents, because we get tired. We get distracted. We get frustrated. In a world where sometimes very little goes our way, when we get home, we want things to go our way. And we have these kids that are under our authority, and we want to be able to tell them and have them do it. We want to be able to control them, because at least something then will go the way we want it to. And so we sin against them instead of serving them. And so if we want our parenting to introduce God, then we need to use our authority in the same way that Jesus did. And this means that we give our lives for those who are under our authority. So we use our authority to serve our children. Now, serving doesn't mean giving them whatever they want. Serving means doing what is best for them. And so, back to Ephesians 6, 4, it says, Raise your children as God raises his children. Raise them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So again, according to this verse, God parents his children through discipline and instruction. You see that in the verse in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. 
And so this is the model for parents. It's also the model for people who disciple others. Um, And so how do we do this? Well, there's two ways. We discipline them and we instruct them. Okay? And so our parenting introduces God when, first, we act in his image. Okay, our parenting introduces God when first we act in his image. Now, the good news here is that parents, mentors, friends are made in God's image. Right? We're made in God's image, and so we can reflect God's image in our relationships with others. And we need to do this. We need to reflect God in our discipline. We need to use, we want to, we want to discipline with God's discipline with our kids. Now, what does God's discipline look like? Well, God disciplines us because he loves us. And one of the best passages that describes this is in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 through 11. It says this. It says, And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you've had to endure. God is treating you as sons. I just want to pause here because when the Bible uses the term sons, sometimes it just means sons and daughters, and that's understood. It's a little bit offensive to us today. I understand that, but back then it wasn't offensive, Um, not because they were necessarily oppressing women, but because it was just a shorthand way to refer to sons and daughters. But in a place like this, there's actually a reason why the Bible is referring to all of God's children, including women, as sons. And that's because back in the ancient world, the only people who could inherit were sons. And so there are times in the New Testament when the Bible refers to women as sons, not because it's trying to ignore them, or not count them, but it's because it's trying to exalt them. It's saying that in God's economy, in God's economy, women are seen on equal standing as sons. And they inherit in the same way that God's male children do. And so this is actually, when you understand the context of it, this is something that's actually exalting uh, to women. So, um, So God is treating you as sons, For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. And so these verses here, they show that the discipline of the Lord is an affirmation of adoption. So the one who is being disciplined is a child of God. That's good news. That's good news. That God only disciplines his children. So if you are being disciplined by God, remind yourself, this is actually a sign that God loves me and cares for me. We tend to think that if we get away with something, (laughs) we do something wrong and nothing bad happens. We think, oh, wow, like that was a blessing. Actually, in the Bible... That's a curse. When we get away with something, it's actually a sign that God isn't our father. 
It's a sign that God is letting us go. And so when we do something wrong, we actually ought to be looking for God to discipline us. And whether it's the conviction of our heart and the sadness that we feel because we've hurt God and we've hurt our relationship with him, we put something in between us and God, we've bowed down to something else that's not God, um, that should move us to repentance. And so whether it's this internal conviction of the Holy Spirit that brings us to repentance and confession and forgiveness and assurance of God's renewed love, or if it's literally that bad things happen to us because we've done something wrong. Um, in either way, we should be thankful. Be thankful for God's discipline. And so in this, in this, we want to make sure that your love and your care for your children comes across in the way that you discipline them. If God's discipline is a sign of his love, then our discipline needs also to be a sign of our love. And so this means that in the process of discipline, you need to be affirming your love for your kids. You need to affirm your care for them and remind them of the big picture of what discipline is for. And just to click into here, this means that we should never, ever discipline in anger. We should never discipline in anger, either with our kids or in a discipleship relationship. If you're angry with someone and you're sitting down with them because you want to let them have it, that's not good. That's not good. You need to deal with your anger first. And then discipline your kids. The Bible's really clear about this. In Ephesians, just a couple chapters earlier, in Ephesians 4, verses 26 and 27, it says this. It says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. And so when we discipline in anger, we actually honor the devil with our discipline. We give the devil an opportunity to manipulate and lie to our kids that either we don't love them or that we or God is ashamed of them. So this is one reason why it's a good idea to have a set place for disciplining your kids in your home. So something like their bedroom or your bedroom. Uh, the reason for this is because when they do something that deserves discipline, you can send them there. And I can't tell you how many hundreds of times in my own life I have had to spend that walk to their room or to mine getting my heart ready, changing my own heart so that I can actually discipline them in love. Um, in that walk... It would be maybe not the walk of shame, but like the walk of grace, right? The walk of renewal. Like this is the parent's opportunity to rehearse the gospel, to preach the gospel to yourself. Um, this is when you are praying that God would let you speak the truth in love. You're praying that God would give you the grace to discipline your kids with calmness and firmness. And that what you do and say will lead them in a process of repentance forgiveness, and reconciliation. That's the Lord's discipline. That's how to communicate love in the discipline. And this is one of these things where 
you want to listen to it, you want to see that this is what the Bible says, and then you need to think through and talk through with your spouse or with other parents. Like, how do you put this into practice? Like, how does this then fit or lead you into whatever it is that you do in the process of discipline? Well, the passage in Hebrews keeps going. Verse 9 says, Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they, our earthly parents, disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he, God, disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. So when discipline happens, either for you or for your kids, don't get mad. But realize that God uses discipline for you to grow and to become all that he wants you to be. And so, as parents, or as disciplers, we should be able to see over time the positive impact of our discipline. We should be able to see over time small incremental changes in our kids' disposition, in their reactions, in the way that they respond to situations. And we need to be pointing those things out so that they can see that this verse is coming true that God is actually disciplining them through our activity, through our discipline, so that we are disciplining our kids with God's discipline. And in this place, there's this kind of amazing communion where you realize, wow, I'm actually acting on God's behalf for my kids. I'm teaching them, and I'm showing them how it's working out to help them grow. And so our parenting introduces God when we are his image, we act in his image. Okay, we act with his discipline and instruction. And secondly, secondly, our parenting introduces God when we transition to him as parent. Okay, our parenting introduces God when we act in his image, but then also when we transition to him as parent. So what do I mean? Well, transitioning our kids to God as parent means raising them in God's instruction. So we've already talked about God's discipline. Now we're going to talk about God's instruction. Now, instruction in Ephesians 6.4 is usually translated a little differently in the Bible in other places. It's usually translated admonition or warning. So there's an edge here. It's not just general instruction. It's not just teaching them all kinds of things, but this is um, parents are to raise their children in the discipline and the admonition and the warning of the Lord. And I want to show you some verses here that, that just bear this out. Um, 1 Corinthians 4, verse 14. Let's pull these three verses up. It says, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as beloved children. And 1 Thessalonians 5, 14 says, And we urge you, brothers... Admonish the idle. These are the lazy people. Um, encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak and be patient with them all. Again, that word admonish. And then Second Corinthians, or I'm sorry, Second Thessalonians three fifteen. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. So again, we see that this word, the same word, instruction in Ephesians six, is translated as admonish and warn in these other verses. 
What I want you to see, though, is that you might have already seen this. In these three verses, there's something they all have in common. That instruction, warning, or admonition is for family members. See that? Admonish you as beloved children of God, right? We urge you, brothers, to admonish the idol, encourage the faint. And, this, and then uh, do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. And so we don't address them in shame. We don't make them feel like outsiders. We instruct them, we admonish them, we warn them as people who are loved by God and are part of his family. Do you see that in these verses? That this word is designed to go to people that are inside God's family. So, Ephesians 6, 4 is saying that we instruct our kids as members of God's family. Friends, this is why we baptize them. Because the Bible says that our children grow up in the family of God. They're born as part of God's family. They get God's discipline and instruction. This discipline and instruction is special for members of God's family. And so Christian parenting is imaging God and it's instructing children to stay on the path of a relationship with God. And so you want to warn them not to leave the path and you want to discipline them to get them back on the path when they stray. So this idea of transitioning transitioning to God as parent. This means that earthly parents have a diminishing authority over their children as they get older. Right? The goal of earthly parenting is to so image heavenly parenting that children would see God in their parents. That children would experience God through their parents. That children would know and love their heavenly father that children would be developing a deepening relationship with God, their father, while they grow under their parents. And so I know in our family, we're not perfect at all. Good grief, we're not perfect. Ask any of my kids. Um, but as our kids have grown up, we have given them greater and greater freedom to make their own decisions every year. So there are things that we do every year to give them more and more and more decision-making capability and more, de more decision power. Um, and it creates this image that I, want you to, that I want to stick with you. And again, this is true both for parenting. It's also true for discipleship. But so transitioning to God as parent, okay, you go from, you go from between your child and God Two, beside your child together, looking up to God. This is the design of earthly parenting. That you go from being between your child and God to, go, to being beside your child together, looking up to God. And so, from between your child and God, this is you reflecting God's loving authority in discipline and instruction and interceding for them in prayer. So you're in between your kids and God, and you're trying to bring them together, right? You're like one hand with them and one hand with God, and you're like, eee! 
come together, please. I love you. Um, and you go toward beside your child, looking up to God together. And so this is experiencing God's loving authority with your child as a brother or a sister. And so again, you, you start out, God's up here, you're in between, and the process of parenting is discipling your kids so that eventually you've got your arm around your kid and you're looking up to God together and you're experiencing him together as Heavenly Father. So when this happens, you remain someone in their life to be honored, but no longer obeyed. You are handing, you're transitioning the authority uh, of your kids to God and they begin to, and they, they, they obey him and not you. When you see this transition, when you understand this transition, this brings, I think, humility and stewardship into parenting. Right? It brings humility because earthly parents know that they too are under God's authority. Like everything that we do needs to be an image of God, needs to reflect God, needs to be God's instruction and God's discipline. Um, and stewardship because parents realize that their child is ultimately God's child. That we are caring for a child of God. So, I think that Jesus does this, this dynamic of discipline and instruction so beautifully through the gospel. We can't do this without the gospel. We've all heard that actions speak louder than words. Well, this is true especially in discipline and instruction. This is true especially in parenting and discipleship. I think Ralph Waldo Emerson was the first person to say, or, or at least he was the one who coined the phrase, I can't hear what you're saying because your actions are too loud. And so often with parenting... The things that we say are contradicted by the ways that we act. We need to be careful. We need God's grace for that. We need, to, we need to grow out of that so that we can bring consistency into our parenting. And the place to get that is from Jesus. Because Jesus, um, sometimes the instruction of Jesus can feel harsh. Sometimes it can feel condemning. But when you combine the words of Jesus with his actions, right? When Jesus' words are mixed with his sacrificial life of love and service, then his warnings are joined with hope and love. Because Jesus warns us in a way that blows my mind and changes my heart. And I hope, I hope you can get this. Jesus does warn us through his words, but even more powerfully. Jesus warns us in a way that is so different from his words. Jesus warns us in a way that is so compelling through the cross. Like the cross is the ultimate place where Jesus warns us. Because on the cross, Jesus shows us both the consequences of our sins Right, the consequences of our sins, we don't have to wonder. It's separation from God. And Jesus experienced that on the cross. He shows us this is where sin leads. 
This is what happens when we sin. This is the consequences that our sins deserve. Is him on the cross being punished by God and separated from God. And so Jesus on the cross shows us the consequences of our sin. And the cross shows us that Jesus loves us so much that he takes the consequences of our sin. It's these two things. It's, it's, it's always discipline in love. It's always instruction in love. And these two voices, these two voices, I mean, in some ways, it's, it's the words and the actions, but they form this incredible duet. It's like when the harmonies are just right, and it sounds not like two people singing, but it sounds like 12 people singing. Right, where they nail it and there are resonances and there are nuances and there's beauty where these two voices come together. This is the cross. This is the words and the actions of Jesus. And this is so compelling. That Jesus, the one who has perfect authority, who has all authority, gave all of his authority up and died for us. Not just so that we would feel bad about our sins, but so that we would know that God loves us that much. So that we would know that no matter what we have done, there is a way back. So that Jesus would blow the doors open so that we would come back to him. And whether it's completely turning the direction of our life, whether we've been living completely apart from God, and we want to come back to him, the cross shows that we can, and that he welcomes us with open arms. Because there are those of you who are here who aren't Christians yet. And this is the good news of Jesus. That in his discipline and instruction, there is love and there is grace and there is a commitment to welcoming you and accepting you into his family. And if you believe in Jesus, if you confess your sins, if you realize that what your sins have done, like all of our sins, we put him on the cross if you confess your sins and tell God you're sorry, commit to following him, he will forgive you today. But then there's others of us that are walking with Jesus, well, except for this one area of our lives, except for this one relationship that we're in, except for this one situation that every time we're in there, we just don't seem to do the right thing. Look to the cross and see the consequences of your sin and let your heart be melted. Let your heart be woken up to realize that, I mean, there are no small sins, that it all separates us from God. And let the love of Jesus draw you back and reset your heart and mind. Confess your sins. I mean, we're all in the same boat whether it's for the first time or the 101st time, come back to Jesus and he will rejoice to have you back. So aside from us going deeper in the gospel personally, uh, what can we do this week just to apply this and walk in this, this life, uh, this week, this week? Well, just a couple things. Um, first, ask yourself this question. Where do I see God imaged in my parenting? Or where do I see God imaged in my discipleship? 
Think about this on your own. Um, discuss this in your life group this week. Discuss it with your spouse or with other parents. Um, think about how some of the things that you do, you do because they are what God does. And make those connections so that you can see how you are giving your kids or the people that you disciple God's discipline and instruction. And then second, what further step can you take to image God's discipline and instruction? So what could you do to grow and to go deeper in this? Do you need clearer boundaries with your kids? Do you need to more consistently enforce your boundaries with loving but painful consequences? Maybe your next step is that you actually need to rehearse God's forgiveness in your life before you discipline your kids. And again, this doesn't mean you won't discipline your kids, but you'll be doing it from a calm place of love, not from a place of anger. Think on this this week and take a step. Take another step in. And even if you're not a Christian, um, think through how your understanding of who God is, what you've heard today about the cross, how can that factor in? Maybe you can take like a tentative step forward and say, what would it look like for me to try this out, to step forward into um, what does it look like to have a relationship with God and to try to image him and the best of who he is as I interact with other people or with my kids. And let's encourage each other because sometimes it might be hard. Sometimes some of us don't see the good that we do and so maybe you need some help. And so do this in conversation and community this week. Let's pray together. God, thank you for completely turning authority upside down. We confess that we sometimes long for authority so we can get our way. And it feels a little bit daunting and kind of exhausting to imagine that all the authority that we have is given to us by you so that we would serve others. And yet, God, we want, we want to do that. We want to follow Jesus. We want to 